Hey bitches, welcome back to another episode of Living Wild. I'm your host, Lo, and I'm so excited to be here with you today because I'm doing something a little new here with the potty. Um, I am introducing today with this episode a new segment of the Living Wild podcast called Offshoots. And uh, the idea for this segment actually came to me early last week. When I was having a conversation in my DMs, actually multiple conversations in my DMs with different women who have had um, interesting experiences uh, within the Western medical model, right? Within our healthcare system here in the United States, um, experiences of gaslighting and not being heard, not being seen, often leading to serious injury and... um, you know, I've, I've heard stories like this on and off uh, from different women over the last several years, um, particularly since everything that happened in 2020 and then thereafter. Um, I've just had a lot of conversations and I've been really deep in the trenches of this community and uh, really kind of unlearning a lot of what I thought I knew and uh, kind of having the veil lifted from my eyes over and over and over and over again. And as I was having these conversations in my DMs, I was like, these conversations deserve to be heard. You know, like there needs to be a space for these conversations. And I'm not saying that, you know, one doesn't already exist. I'm just, I just felt the call to like provide one, you know, and, and open the space um, for these women to share their stories, to, to share their experiences, to be seen and heard and held in those experiences. And, um, you know, with the the hope that they're able to alchemize any kind of pain that they experienced during those um, particular scenarios into purpose, you know, purpose specifically for the collective, um, you know, so, so we can all kind of learn and grow from that. So I knew that I, I did not want these episodes to turn into just like bitching sessions while that would be valid. Um, I, I, I want it more purposeful than that. So um, I'm setting the intention now that any of these offshoot episodes that you, you hear, that is the intent to provide a safe space for these women to share their stories, to be seen, witnessed, heard, and held in the sharing of those stories with the intent of being able to alchemize any pain that they may have experienced into purpose, both for themselves and the, the collective. So that is why you are hearing this. Um, I'm thinking right now that offshoot episodes are going to be bi-weekly. So there'll be like a regular episode and then an offshoot episode and a regular episode and an offshoot episode. And um, open invitation now if you're a listener and you're someone who has experienced, um, you, you have a story of having been in, you know, the, the Western medical system and um, you have a story that you would like to share then I would love to invite you. Just shoot me a DM over on Instagram at the wild well woman and uh, we'll hop on a zoom call and you can share your story and that'll be that. And that'll be beautiful. Um, if you know of someone who has been, but you yourself haven't personally, then please share this information with them. Have them reach out to me. I would love to have the conversation. And again, just hold that space and, um, you know, help them to be feel as if they they're being seen and heard and witnessed in their experiences um, for the opportunity to alchemize that into some purpose, right? So I'm going to start the offshoots segments by sharing my own experience within 
the Western medical system, specifically uh, within the context of birth. Um, I don't have a ton of experience in the the healthcare system outside of that. I've always been relatively healthy. And uh, honestly, when I was a kid, we were too broke to be going to the doctor on a regular basis. <laughs> it was like exclusively for uh, vaccinations, which that's a whole nother conversation, uh, multiple conversations. Um, but we only ever really went to the doctor for that or, you know, like if we were actually sick. And then uh, my parents put me on hormonal birth control when I, I turned 13 uh, which I'll share a little bit about that here also. Um, but outside of that, I didn't have a ton of experience. I've never broken a bone. I've never had stitches, nothing like that. Um, so I didn't really enter into the healthcare system until I became pregnant with my first daughter uh, back in 2013 when I was 20 years old. And uh, I did that just because I thought I was supposed to. <laughs> and that in and of itself is problematic right? The, the conditioning that as soon as a woman becomes pregnant, she better damn well get her ass to the doctor, right? You better get to the gynecologist because God knows what's going to happen to your body now because it, it is so unpredictable and it's so crazy and it's just foreign terrain and you need a savior to come in and help you navigate that. And that savior is often going to be wearing a white coat and, you know, his or her opinion surpasses all intuition that you may have. And that is that, right? And, and that was my relationship with it. So, um, I'll back up just a sec and share about my experience with, um, getting on birth control. So my parents fully vaccinated me. They didn't know any better, right? No, no blame or shame there. I also received the, um, Gardasil vaccine that was supposed to vaccinate against HPV. It was a series of three vaccines. Um, you know, the, those, I, I had no say in those, right? I, <laughs> I was a child and uh, as much as I can sit here and preach about sovereignty and making your own decisions and taking responsibility when we're children, we are kind of at the mercy of what our parents believe to be true, right? My parents very much believed in vaccines and still do. Um, so they had me go through the full, um, you know, schedule of vaccinations. Uh, thankfully, I turned out fine. I think, <laughs> I think I'm fine. And, um, then I also got the Gardasil shots. And when I turned 13, I started experiencing some severe PMS, which later was diagnosed as PMDD. If you're unfamiliar with that, it's essentially just severe PMS to the point where it kind of influences and impacts your ability to live a normal life. And for me, it just looked like really crazy mood swings. <laughs> like, And I can only assume that my parents thought I was fucking psychotic. So they were like, oh, let's go get this bitch medicated. Okay. So they took me to the gynecologist and I was immediately prescribed hormonal birth control. And, uh, you know, looking back now as a mom of four, um, I have four babies and three of them are girls. My youngest is a, is a boy. Um, looking back now, knowing what I know, and as a mother of three girls, I can 100, like with 100% certainty and confidence say I would absolutely never put my, my girls on hormonal birth control. I myself will never be on hormonal birth control again. Um, just because I know what I know now. <laughs> and once you know what you know, you can't unknow it, right? Once you see what you see, you can't unsee it. And, um, I, I just know too much about what hormonal birth control does to the female body, especially the developing female body. And looking back in hindsight, it, it baffles me that there was no discussion of, 
you know, what my body was doing at that time as a 13 year old girl going through puberty, entering into adolescence, experiencing menarche for the first time, there was absolutely no discussion about that. My parents never had a conversation with there. There was no sex talk, nothing like that. I had um, a sex ed class in elementary school in fifth grade, uh, right before I went into middle school. And that was really the extent of it. And the only thing that I remember from that conversation was how to put on a condom. And why are we teaching fifth, fifth graders how to put on condoms? I don't know. Um, so yeah, <laughs> very limited conversation about what my body was actually doing. Um, and so there was absolutely no discussion from my parents or from, uh, my, my gynecologist at the time about what my body was doing, what was happening, how to nourish it, how to navigate it. There was no discussion of food and how food choices impact hormones. There was no discussion of, um, feminine care products, hygiene products, cosmetic products, uh, cleaning supplies, no discussion of how any of those things were impacting, uh, hormone production and regulation. Um, nothing like that. And maybe that was because it wasn't as widely and well known as it is today. Um, so again, I don't fault my parents or even my gynecologist at the time, because again, you only know what you know, uh, you only see what you see. And, you know, so, you know, they, they, they only knew what they knew. They only saw what they saw. And, um, I think that speaks to the inherent, uh, shortcomings of the Western medical system, especially in terms of women's health, that this discussion wasn't brought up. Um, even though it is well-documented and widely known that there are so many known hormone disruptors, endocrine disruptors in our natural living environment, uh, it, it's, it's not at the forefront of the conversation. At least it wasn't, you know, thir- um, this was 13, so I, I fucking know, 18 years ago. Oh my God, 18 years ago. Is that right? Is that math right? Holy moly. Um, so I don't know, maybe a lot has changed between now and then. I like to think that it, it has. I like to hope that it has. But my experience in giving birth in the healthcare system uh, suggests otherwise. Um, so yeah, that was that, was that experience. Uh, there was no discussion of any of those things, much less any discussion of, uh, you know, movement or nervous system regulation or um, emotional intelligence. Nothing. None of that, right? None of that happened. And... Um, at 13, I was put on hormonal birth control to manage all of these symptoms. And I stayed on it until I was 20 years old. And I actually got pregnant with my first daughter while on birth control. Uh, and when I became pregnant, as I said, I immediately had the thought, oh my gosh, I need to go to the doctor as many women do, right? You need to go to the doctor. And so I did. And I have to be honest, I don't have a ton of memories of like actually going to the doctor visits um, other than just feeling like I was completely at the mercy of whatever my care provider suggested, right? Whatever they told me to do is what I did, period. There was no questioning it. There was no nothing. It was like, okay, the doctor said to do it, so do it. Um and, you know, now knowing what I know, I would not have consented to so many ultrasounds because, you know, there are studies coming out about uh, the impact of ultrasound on the growing fetus. Um, I would not have consumed the, you know, that disgusting drink that they make you drink um, to test for gestational diabetes. 
there's alternatives to that. Um, you can actually request, I didn't even know this, but you can request uh, a specific diet. Um, and you just eat in a certain way. And then they, they run the test the exact same way and you don't have to drink the thing. Um, and the thing is full of known carcinogens and whatever the fuck makes it the color that it is like all, all of these things. Right. And then the recommendation to get the flu shot and the Tdap shot. Like I had my entire family get the Tdap vaccine when I was pregnant with my first daughter because I just didn't fucking know any better. And I was just listening to what my doctor told me to do. And looking back on it, like how dare I infringe upon someone else's medical autonomy? I literally told our family that they could not be around our daughter if they did not get the vaccine. And looking back on that now, I, I am appalled. <laughs> like, holy shit. Again, how fucking dare I? Um, but again, you only know what you know. You only see what you see. And so, you know, I honor that version of myself who didn't know any better. And I also feel really bad for her. <laughs> like, that poor younger version of myself who was just fucking terrified, terrified of her own body, terrified of what was going on. And then she entered into this system that just perpetuated the fear, perpetuated the separation and the divide between she and herself, her body, and, you know, the natural unfolding that is birth. Birth has been happening for thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years, long before anyone learned how to make money off of it. And here we are as modern women thinking that we have to go to a quote unquote specialist to help us navigate something that is literally ancient and intuitive to our bodies. Like it is so fucking bizarre to me. So I enter into the medical system, right? And, and I go through all of the recommended tests and you know all of the appointments and all the, not to mention how fucking much all of this costs luckily we were broke at the time and we qualified for medicaid so we didn't have to pay for anything but if we had had to pay i mean this would have been upwards of i don't know i think it's like it costs like 20 or 30 grand to have a baby in the hospital system um which is absolutely insane <laughs> like what the actual fuck something that women again have done for free for thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years our medical system slaps a 30 grand price tag on it excuse me excuse me not to mention the fact that then at least here in South Carolina you're not allowed to take your placenta um, at least when I this was back when I had my first daughter in 2013 they uh, labeled the placenta as toxic waste and you had to get special permission to have it uh, to take it with you. And if you're not familiar, there are a lot of women who actually consume their placenta uh, after giving birth. Either they, you know, freeze it and put it in smoothies or something like that, or they'll have it encapsulated and take it in pill form because it's this tissue that is full of all of the nutrients, the minerals, the hormones that have just been coursing through your body for the last nine to 10 months and is suddenly just fucking gone. So it just helps stabilize all of those hormones so you don't completely like plummet like they don't the, their levels don't completely plummet as soon as the baby and the placenta are gone it's a much more gradual um experience and you know intuitively i don't have any you know research to prove this but intuitively 
that makes sense, especially considering how many women struggle with postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, things like that. Why wouldn't we consume this thing if it has the ability to help minimize that or lessen that, right? But instead, our medical system actually takes it and uses it because it's full of stem cells and uh, they actually sell it to companies so that it can be repurposed and reused in medication and all kinds of different things. Um, and from what I understand, there's a pretty good, like a, a pretty penny placed on placentas. And here we are, we're not allowed to have it, but they're going to take it and they're going to resell it and they're going to fucking reuse it. Like, excuse me, that, that's my, like my body literally fucking grew that. That is mine. I should be able to do whatever the fuck I want to do with it. In ancient traditions, in some cultures, they actually see the placenta as a second soul, as a twin to, to the fetus. And there's all kinds, there's all kinds of um, documented evidence that there were sacred ceremonies done with the placenta because it was seen as, again, this kind of twin to the fetus. And, um, to think that that's how our Western medical model treats it, right? As it labels it as toxic waste, but then it takes it and reuses it and repurposes it, purposes it for profit. It, it fucking baffles me. Anyway, back to my story. <laughs> this offshoot is going to have a lot of offshoots. Um, so then I get into the hospital and, uh, I go into labor, whatever my water breaks, get into labor. Well, this is where even more of the gaslighting begins because my water broke at home, uh, make our way to the hospital. And because my water has been broken for, you know, a couple hours at this point, I absolutely have to have Pitocin because I am at risk. Me and my baby are at risk of getting infected. Okay. So, um, I am immediately put on Pitocin and put on and restricted to the bed because I'm on Pitocin. And because I'm on Pitocin, they now have to put a fetal monitor on me to make sure that the Pitocin isn't negatively impacting baby and baby's heart rate. So I am on Pitocin. And if you're not familiar with Pitocin, it is uh, this artificial drug that helps progress um, labor, which interestingly enough, I would get on Pitocin. I had Pitocin with three out of my four. And every time my labor lasted between 12 and 15 hours, which I know is minuscule in comparison to some other women's um, processes, but uh, 12 to 15 hours felt excruciating. Um, and consistently it was 12 to 15 hours. I was on Pitocin and I was restricted to the bed with a fetal monitor every single time, at least three out of four times. Um, and interestingly enough with my fourth and, you know, by my fourth, I was the most awake that I had been. Um, he's almost two now. And, uh, so my water didn't actually break with him. So I wasn't quote unquote forced to be put on Pitocin. Um, I was offered it and I refused it. And I also refused the fetal monitor. And, um, I spent the majority of my labor with him in the bathtub and he was here after four hours. Um, so there's, I can't fucking deny <laughs> the drastic difference in his birth experience compared to my girls. Um, but anyway, with, uh, my oldest daughter, I was put on Pitocin, restricted in the bed, no moving, no nothing. And, um, after 12 to 15 hours and I pushed for, you know, a handful of pushes and she was here. Uh, I was literally in the process of pushing her out of my body. And my doctor tells me to stop, um, because he wasn't putting his scrubs on fast enough and he wasn't going to be able to catch her. And if you've ever, ever had a baby, um, you know, without 
uh, with, without anesthesia and epidural, I couldn't think of the word, then you know that you, you, when it gets to a certain point where you, you aren't making the decisions anymore, your body is. Um, and it comes to a point where you can't not push. And that's where I was. I couldn't not push. My body was doing exactly what it was supposed to do. He just fucking couldn't get his scrubs on fast enough um, to, to fucking do his job. And then after she's here, all is well, right? She's healthy. She's beautiful. She's perfect. And then come all of the vaccines. And, you know, we have to give this vaccine and that vaccine. And again, I did not know any better at this point in my journey. And so my oldest daughter is fully vaccinated. Got all of them. Uh, got the shit and the goop in her eyes and whole nine. And then she went to every single one of her um, follow-up doctor's appointments, right? The pediatric pediatrician appointments, right? Where she gets more vaccines and all the things, right? And looking back on that first experience of, um, becoming a mom and, uh, like there's so much more that goes into it. Uh, my experience with lactation and breastfeeding and this lactation consultant literally scraped my nipple with a fucking plastic spoon to get colostrum out. And like, Without going into every single detail and boring you and making this a 14-hour podcast episode, the overall theme was I was completely uneducated. And because I was com- like I was completely blind to what the experience could be, what the experience should be. I had no fucking idea what I was doing. And from that vantage point, I had absolutely no sense of personal power. I handed over every ounce of personal power I had, every decision-making, like everything, everything. I deferred it to the quote-unquote professionals because I did not know any better. And um, I feel like that is the reality for the vast majority of women in our culture. Like we just don't fucking know because we're not fucking taught. We're not fucking taught. (laughs) And that makes for you know, customers for life. That makes it really easy to convince us that we need to do this thing and we need to do that thing and our babies need this and our babies need that. When really, again, women have been having babies for fucking ever before someone figured out how to make money off of it. And um, this kind of, this basically persisted. Um, I didn't have another baby. She was my first born in 2013 and I didn't have my second until 2019. And it was very much the same. Um, I had started kind of waking up at this point, but um, I was still very, very unaware, very unaware. So um, the experience of getting pregnant, going to all the prenatal appointments, having baby in the hospital, all of that was still uh, very similar. Um and then we get to baby number three and baby number three was born one week into the COVID lockdowns. And, uh, at this point I had started to wake up a little bit more, but still not, not fully, not anywhere close. (laughs) And, um, so prenatal visits, similar, uh, experience having baby similar. And, um, there was one instance though. So my, um, I'd been leaking amniotic fluid and I didn't know it. Um, and the morning that I had her, I went into the hospital around 8 30 AM because I thought that I was leaking amniotic fluid and I go in, they test me and I was. Um, and so again, 
just like with babies one and two, I was put on Pitocin um, to, to speed up the labor. Um, this time they let me get on a ball, on a, on a birthing ball, which was nice. Uh, it was still uh, 12 to 15 hour labor. And then when she was here, she was born and they told me that her temperature spiked um, without telling me what her temperature was. They just told me that she spiked a fever and uh, that they needed to take her because she could have an infection from the prolonged amniotic leak uh, and she might have to have a spinal tap. And, like just all of these absolutely horrific things. They're telling me they're going to have, and, and they took her. They took my newborn baby away from me and she was gone for like five hours while they ran tests and monitored um, closely enough to know whether or not they would actually have to do the spinal tap. Uh, they end up, ended up not having to do the spinal tap. Her fever came back down and everything was fine. But there was a four to five hour window where I had no fucking clue what was going on. And I, I'm freshly postpartum, uh, you know, bleeding like the, the whole nine. And I just remember crying uncontrollably for the entire time that she was gone because I didn't know what was, what was happening. And thank God for my husband, he was there and he held me through the whole thing. Um, but I didn't know what was, what was going to happen. I didn't know what was, what was wrong. And more than anything, I was blaming myself, you know, I was blaming myself what, and I was wondering if this new baby was ever going to meet her sisters. Like it was absolutely excruciating. And looking back on that in hindsight, I'm like, why wasn't I ever actually told what her temperature was? Did she ever actually have a fever? Um, you know, what, what the fuck happened? I still don't really know. Um, I was just, and, and when they finally brought her back, I was so happy to have her back that I didn't ask any questions. I was like, okay, great. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for bringing her back to me. And, um, then it was the same story. Uh, we allowed her to be vaccinated in the hospital and then COVID happened. And then the discussion of the COVID vaccine happened. And that was the unraveling both for me and for my husband, because we started, we were immediately and 100% adamant that we were not getting the COVID vaccine and none of our children were getting the COVID vaccine, which then prompted us to begin to think and question if we're so adamantly against this vaccine, then why are we so quick to allow the others? And so that opened up a whole rabbit hole <laughs> and we dove in headfirst and promptly stopped vaccinating all of our children. Um, and uh, we haven't vaccinated since, uh, since early 2020. So that was that. And then fast forward, uh, we become pregnant again. So if you have lost count, uh, we had a baby in 2019, 2020, and then my son was born in 2021. So when I was pregnant with my son, even though I knew much more than I had with my first three, I still went through the whole prenatal checks, the ultrasounds, the, the whole nine, the whole nine, because at this point, like I know, I, I know what I know. And I'm still so deeply plugged into the system. I still am not 100% trusting of my body, still not 100% trusting of my intuition, still deferring a lot of my personal power to the system, right? So we go through the whole thing. Uh, I do request a midwife instead of um, a doctor. So I birth with a midwife, which is nice. And um, then uh, when, I go, when I went into labor with him, 
Uh, I, I didn't, my water didn't break. My water broke like exactly like you see in the movies, like massive gush of water breaking with my first two. With my third, it was like the leaking, um, a very slow trickle. And the, I didn't know how long it had been going on. And then with my son, it didn't break at all, but I, I started having contractions. So started having contractions around 11 p.m. Uh, I actually started having contractions at 11.10 p.m. on 11.10, uh, which I thought was crazy. And then he was born on 11, 11, 21. Um, so I started having contractions, hung out at home for a little bit. Uh, after about an hour or so, I woke my husband up and I was like, yeah, I think this, I think this is happening. Uh, so we make our way. Uh, we get to the hospital. I get checked in uh, probably around 1 a.m. at this point. Uh, no Pitocin. No, thank you. I don't want that. Uh, no, thank you. I do not want the fetal monitor. Uh, no, thank you. I don't want any of that. I just want to get in the bathtub. Uh, so at this point, I'm feeling much more confident in my ability to exercise my autonomy in my birth experience, even though it's still in a hospital. Okay. So I get in the, in the bathtub, whatever. Cool. I'm in the bathtub. And by 4 a.m., he's here. He was born at 4.06 a.m. So um, from start to finish, what is that, like five hours? And only like three of it was actually in the hospital. So um, his was definitely the most primal birth of all three. Um, he, I had him standing up in the bathroom. And um, he had a bowel movement as he was passing through the birth canal. And he um, inhaled that. So then they had to clean out his lungs. And it was about 30 minutes after he was born before I actually got to hold him, um, which I was fine with. I was like, okay, cool. He swallowed poop, like help, help the little dude out. I don't know what's going on. And then they finally bring me my son and it's just the most incredible thing, right? Like the euphoria of holding your baby for the first time is like nothing else. It's like nothing I can describe. If you know, you know, and, uh, you know, me and my husband are just reveling in this new little baby that we have. And then come the vaccine questions, right? First of all, we turned down circumcision. No, thank you. Um, and then literally just a couple of hours after he's born, maybe not even that, maybe about an hour or so, they come in to give him the vitamin K shot. Now, we had already decided we did not want any vaccines. And we had expressed this openly um, with our nurse and uh with the the midwife that I birthed with, we'd express this. We do not want vaccines. Where we told them that we were going to be on a delayed vaccine schedule, just to appease them, <laughs> and um, so we were like, "No, thank you." So they knew this, and they still come to us with the vitamin K shot. Now, if you don't know what the vitamin K shot is, um, it is a blood coagulant. So if baby, for whatever reason, starts to bleed, then the vitamin K shot is supposed to help with that by allowing baby's blood to coagulate. Babies are born with vitamin K, but it's lower levels, and so... Uh, the, the narrative is that we have to give babies the vitamin K shot to help their blood coagulate. But we had already decided we were not having him circumcised. So there was no, and he had, like, he had already been checked. There was no internal bleeding, no nothing. There were, so there was no reason why he needed the vitamin K shot. So we were like, no, we don't want that. We're, on, we're doing a delayed vaccine schedule. We don't want that. And they're like, oh, well, we still have to do it in the hospital. And we were like, oh, well, we don't want it. And they were like, oh, well, then we're going to have to call DSS. And mine and my husband's hearts simultaneously dropped into our asses. And we were like, what the actual fuck? What do you mean you have to call DSS? 
Yeah, if you're gonna if you're gonna refuse, it's it's standard hospital protocol. If you refuse the vitamin K shot, then we have to call DSS and they have to come in and assess the situation. And they'll also assess the situation with any other children you have at home. So here I am sitting here, freshly postpartum yet again, and uh, I have three little girls at home and this new little baby in my arms. And I'm being told that the Department of Social Services is going to come and evaluate every one of my children, my living environment, everything, which I didn't have anything to hide. But at the time, it scared the absolute shit out of me. Like, what could they find? <laughs> like, is, is there something that, you know, would merit them taking my children? I don't fucking know. So I'm terrified. And so in that moment, me and my husband say, okay, fine, give it to him. And again, looking back on the gaslighting, looking back on the um, emotional abuse like, I can't, I don't even have words for it to tell us that we are going to be investigated by social services if we deny a vaccine that our child medically does not need. I, make it make sense. Please fucking make it make sense. And please do not come at me saying that the vitamin K shot is actually necessary. I've done research and it's not. It's not. And the research that I've done has been studies that weren't endorsed by the medical care system. <laughs> okay, that's that's another thing. That's another thing on in itself. Like so many of these studies that prove the validity of all of these things we're supposed to get were endorsed by the very people who are making money from them. Uh, so we absolutely have to question the validity of the studies. Like, of course, if they're going to make money, if they're going to make money off of it, of course, they're going to make this, make it valid. Of, of course, of course they are. Anyway, uh, so since then, my, our, our son's almost two. He has been to absolutely no, um, pedi- we don't even have a pediatrician. He hasn't been to any pediatric checkups. He is so incredibly healthy, so incredibly healthy and strong and just this beautiful little boy and it, like, it's so interesting. Like my son and all my girls, like none of them go to a pediatrician. Like (laughs) if we get sick, we treat it at home with herbs and natural remedies. And, you know, if we have an emergency, then we'll go, you know? Um, but aside from that, it's so funny because my children are growing and thriving and healthy and they don't go to the pediatrician every month. They don't have vaccines. They don't like, it's like, Everything that I was told and that I was conditioned to believe needed to happen for children to be healthy has not happened for my children. And my children are so fucking healthy and so beautiful. And like, so all of that to say, I personally don't feel like I've had any huge trauma uh, within the context of our healthcare system. But looking back on the three hospital births, or excuse me, four hospital births that I've had, I see an enormous amount of gaslighting, an enormous amount of emotional abuse, an enormous amount of being taken advantage of simply for my lack of awareness. And for that very reason, I've decided to create offshoots because women deserve to know 
Women deserve to know that their concerns are valid. Women deserve to know that their intuition is real. Women deserve to know that they can have you know, whatever experience of birth that they desire to have, and they can do it without it being in a hospital, without, there's like, whatever version of pregnancy, birth you have been taught is legitimate, doesn't have to be. Like, there are literally women who give birth in the fucking ocean. Like, women give birth on the side of mountains. Women give birth at home. Women give birth, like... The stereotypical version of birth that we are fed, both by our healthcare system and then also by mainstream media, um, popular culture, movies, TV shows, that's not the only possible experience of birth. And I honestly think it's a fucking caricature of birth. Um, after, you know, the research that I've done and the experiences that I've had, while, you know, all, all of the things that I've shared did happen, you know, I felt like each of my births were this beautiful initiation into motherhood over and over and over and over again. And for that, I am incredibly grateful. Right. And, um, you know, I just, I just, I want women to have a space to share whatever stories they have, whatever experiences they have. And I want women to know that, there are always other options. There are always alternatives. There are always, there's always something else available to you. And the only reason you think there isn't is because someone told you there wasn't. And I would encourage you strongly to question that person because that person has something to gain from you thinking you don't have any choices. Right? And our healthcare system, while it is fantastic for emergency situations, for acute medical situations. It lacks in chronic issues and it lacks in women's health because pregnancy, contrary to popular belief, pregnancy is not an emergency. Pregnancy is not a medical condition. Pregnancy is a very natural part of life and women have been doing pregnancy and birth for a long fucking time. Long before someone figured out how to make money off of it. So I feel like this episode was all over the place. Uh, I came into it with no notes. Uh, I knew what I wanted to talk about. Um, I'm looking at my notes now, making sure that I, I touched on everything. Um, I, I knew what I wanted to talk about, but I, I also knew that it's a very vast <laughs> topic, right? Like trying to, to pull apart and kind of dissect um, for individual and unique birth experiences in a reasonable amount of time is, is definitely a challenge. But the biggest takeaway um, that I hope you receive from this, this episode is that you have choices. You have choices. But in order to exercise your power to choose, you have to educate yourself. You have to know what you don't know yet. And the only way you're going to know what you don't know is if you dive in. If you jump down the fucking rabbit hole, read studies that aren't from profiting uh, bodies of work, right? Profiting institutions, institutions that are going to directly profit and benefit from, you know, whatever information they're putting out. 
Uh, so go, go and read, go and explore, go and, you know, as silly as it sounds, find accounts here on um, Instagram, on TikTok that are sharing this information that isn't always readily available to the vast majority of, of women. Because I personally believe that so much of the shifts that need to happen culturally and collectively begin and end with women and women waking up to our power, women waking up to our ability to choose, women remembering who we are and no longer outsourcing our personal power or our ability to choose or any of that, right? The, the psyop that, the entire, that our entire culture operates on is dependent on our victim consciousness. And I personally believe our victim consciousness begins at conception. When, when women have that moment, they find out they're pregnant. Oh, I need to go to a doctor. Why? Why? And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with going to a doctor. I'm not demonizing doctors. I'm not demonizing the entire medical system. I'm just asking why. Why do you feel incapable of doing something that women have done for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Why? Nine times out of 10, it's going to be because someone told you you were. Because you received that conditioning, that programming from someone somewhere, whether it was the mainstream media, your own mother, whatever. Someone somewhere, either directly or indirectly, overt or covert, told you that you are incapable. And so now you have to find someone who is capable, a doctor, a nurse, even a midwife. So the invitation here is to educate yourself, inform yourself, advocate for yourself. And remember that you always have a choice, but it's your responsibility to provide yourself with the education and the knowledge needed to act on that choice. So that's what I have for you today. The first offshoots episode. (laughs) Again, I feel like it was a bit scattered. My goal is to have them more organized in the future. Uh, I've got some really exciting interviews lined up and I'm really excited to share those stories and those women with you. Um, If you found value in this episode, I would love it. If you would share it, please share it in all of the spaces and all of the ways. Um, And if you feel called to share your experience in an offshoot episode, then shoot me a DM and let's do it. Otherwise, I will talk to you next week. See you later.